On today's episode of The Investing Revolution, I'm going to talk about the differences between the 2008 housing bubble and crash and today's current real estate market. This is The Investing Revolution, a podcast designed to help your real estate investment strategy. On this podcast, we'll teach you the actionable steps to take and pitfalls to avoid so that your real estate investing can thrive. Welcome to The Investing Revolution. I am your host, Jonathan Cook. And today, I want to discuss a topic that I've seen um, floating around all of the real estate investment uh, Facebook groups. Um, it's national news quite often recently. But, but I want to discuss what's happening in the housing market today and compare it a little bit to the housing market bubble and crash that we experienced back in 07, 08, 09 uh, in the United States. So <clears throat> what, I, what I've been seeing, I, I, I am in several real estate investment groups on Facebook, in Twitter, uh, in you know, Alignable, and, and several other uh, social media apps to where, <clears throat> I mean, oftentimes I like to just sit in there and Add in my little two cents to you know help the would-be investors um, ha have a little bit more leverage when they're uh, doing some refinancing or you know when they're trying to make a good decision on what type of real estate investment to purchase and and that kind of stuff I am happy to do all day every day um, if I can help everyone invest stronger then we can all grow together but recently over the past several months actually so, I mean since the beginning of this year it's it's been right at the top of everybody's mind everybody keeps saying uh are we in for another housing bubble is that what's happening right now because prices are skyrocketing they have been through last year the year before the year before i mean it the, the it seems inevitable um and and i want to walk through what the differences were previously and what's happening now. Um, anybody that's been in real estate investing for the past 20 years um, remembers the the bubble in 07. They, they remember what happened and it, it definitely feels very similar. Um, housing prices were at an all-time high at that time. It was difficult to buy a house. You would, you know, put a house on the market and it would disappear, you know, overnight. You wouldn't even have time to find yourself a new place to move in. I mean, and, and that was driving demand up really high, but the big difference between then and now was inventory. And I want to devote a little bit of time to just the difference in inventory previously to what they are now, but but I want to talk about the underlying problems of what was happening previously to, to today. Um, and, and now I'm not a certified financial planner. I'm you know, not a, a mortgage person. I, I don't do lending. Um, but, but I've been in the real estate investment market for a very long time. I, I started my real estate career in the bubble. I got licensed at 21 years old and experienced... 2007. I sold a lot of homes in 2007. It was it was great. It was a wonderful time. And then when the market crashed in 08, it was instantaneously felt. 
I mean, I can remember having listings that sat on the market for over a year, 464 days, I believe was the longest time that I had a listing on the market. It was, it was a scary time. Um, you, you put something up for sale and it, who knows when it would sell, who knows if your listing agreement would, you know, expire before the home sold or what it, we had showings, we had listings and it was everybody was chasing those prices down. You would start at, you know, $400,000 on, you know, one weekend and five houses around you would drop their prices to 385 at the same time that you posted yours. So you would chase yours down to, you know, 380 and then somebody would list theirs at 375 and then you would have to, it, it was a race to the bottom. I, I can remember those times and it was, it was exhausting and it was scary. There was a huge recession afterwards, but Let's talk a little bit about what caused that issue before we contrast it with today. So there were several um, related issues that caused that initial bubble. Mostly, um, if, if we want to put it on just one specific um, item or one specific cause, it, it it always seems to go back to subprime lending, um, which that's just lending people more money than they will ever be able to afford. That's that there's a lot more detail and, you know, definition to what that, how that actually works. But the easiest way to explain it is giving people large mortgage loans um, for people that could not afford it. They couldn't afford the uh, loan prices all in hopes that the equity would, you know, build them enough, value to where their equity would be able to shore up the distance between what they were paying and what the house is worth. And, you know, it was a big, you know, pyramid kind of deal that was happening there. It was, it had a snowball effect. Um, and for a while it, it worked great. Um, we saw a lot of arms at that point in time, you know, uh, you know, adjustable rate mortgages seemed like a, a great practice that just let everyone have the opportunity of home ownership. Um, the, the benefits of being able to get a loan where in the first year you're only paying, you know, three, four or 5%. And that wasn't all that bad. You could afford that mortgage payment, but that, that kind of hidden part in the back end was wall street really put, um, a lot of effort into purchasing mortgage-backed securities, which again is, you know, could have a whole episode in itself about just how mortgage-backed securities work. But long story short, uh, Wall Street started betting on equity um, in these mortgage-backed securities because it's a it's a relatively stable uh, investment bet. Um, I mean, mortgage prices are you know paying at six, 7% or whatever they were returning at that time. And equity was continuing to build that didn't seem like there was any end in sight. Builders were building homes all over the country because, Hey, everybody needed a place to live. Uh, you know, that, that's a great place to, to profit off of real estate is, uh, just, just buy up the mortgages. The problem was when those bubbles or the arms, you know, would adjust and, and people had balloon payments, which I'm sure, uh, some of you might remember ballooning 
uh, mortgages and and how those worked. Uh, I believe the very first home that I purchased was on a balloon mortgage, which was is terrifying now that I think about it. But how those ultimately work is you pay one rate um, for a certain amount of time, and then once they mature, seven years, ten years, whatever the the uh, agreement is, then it balloons and you owe the rest of the uh, you know loan on the house, which is great in a flipping market. It's it's perfectly fine. It's it's, it's a great idea when you can sell a house. It's a perfectly fine investment strategy. If you can buy a house and you know that you'll be able to sell it for money, more money than what your, your mortgage is. When equity is climbing 20, 30, 40%, uh, it sounds like a really safe bet. Oh, I can buy this house this year. I can buy this house today for $150,000. And we're, we're talking 07 money here. So you, you can buy it for $300,000 if... Next year, I can sell it for four twenty-five because even if my mortgage balloon payment comes due, well, I can sell the house for four twenty-five, pay off my three hundred and sixty thousand dollar loan or whatever the loan ends up being at that point, and I can walk away with profit. So, in '08, all of those balloons and rates started hitting. We started seeing. Um, the the results of all the lend, the the predatory lending practices that had been uh, really propping up the housing market for you know years before 08 uh, homes started popping into foreclosure and the builders were still building so that's what we're talking about here is a difference in inventory and that's if, if we're just going to put one difference between then and today and there are still several there are way more than this but, but I will lean really heavily on the difference in inventory from 08 and 09 to today. Um, we had uh, tons of houses on the market as the market crashed. Builders were still building, uh, you know, pre-existing homes were still on the market, and they just were never leaving the market. And I want to talk about what a healthy real estate market looks like. Um, Years ago, when I went through my very first uh, pre-licensed real estate course, um, we were taught, <clears throat> and, it, and it stands to reason this is uh, pretty nationwide here, um, a healthy real estate market, a healthy real estate market where, where nobody has um, any benefit over the other, whether that's the seller or the buyer, it's, it's pretty equal, uh, has about a six-month supply on the market. We're just going to use round numbers here. So let's say in any particular market, 100 homes sell per month. Okay, great. That means at any given time, there are 600 homes on the market. So at that point, no seller has any outright um, you know, advantage over the buyers because there's, there's plenty of options to choose from. No buyer has any significant um, advantage over the seller because there's not infinite houses on the market, but but I have some options here to choose. Um, there were times in 2008 where just the Birmingham, Alabama market had over a 12-month supply. That's more than double a healthy market. Your, your averages across the country, I believe, were well over the nine-month time frame that we consider a buyer's market. Just in round numbers, when, when we're talking about kind of standardized um, inventory amounts, a nine-month supply of real estate inventory means that, hey, 
it's a it's a buyer's market in that case. There's there's nine months of supply. There's nine hundred homes in this market that sells a hundred homes per month. I can pick whichever one that I can get the best deal on. I can pick whichever one fits me the best. And, you know, I can kind of offer whatever price that I want because there's so much inventory here. It's a supply and demand issue. There's a ton of supply and there is some demand, but, you know, I get to be a little bit choosier and we can relate this to any other industry where supply and demand comes into play. So now let's talk about what, what a, a seller's market looks like in terms of generalized round numbers. Um, a seller's market looks like a three-month supply of inventory on the market. There's only three months of supply, 300 properties in this 100 property a month market. If there's only three months of supply, well, then now the sellers have a much higher advantage than the buyers. Hey, there's only 300 properties here. You know, We'll set the prices kind of however we want. Um, so, so in terms of nationalized numbers, um, that's what we're talking about here. That's what makes a buyer and or seller market. So back in 2008, 2009, um, there were there were times in Birmingham that had well over a year's worth of supply just continuously. We saw homes average days on market were you know 90 days, 120 days, 200 days. Um, we had there are several listings that were on the market for well over a year because there was so much supply and not nearly the amount the amount of demand because people weren't able to get mortgages. People weren't able to get loans. People were had just gone through foreclosure or bankruptcy. And so there weren't enough mo- people that could get money. And then if they could, if they had the cash or if they did build the credit or if they did have the option to go and buy, well, there was so much inventory. You could throw a dart at the wall and you know hit something nearby. It, again, your basic tenants of real estate, you know, location was very important. Um, benefits, features, upgrades, those were all very important, but you had to have the shiniest house on the shiniest block at the shiniest price to land that buyer at that time. Now let's look at today. Um, I know a lot of buyers and investors feel like, oh, it, it feels the same way. I mean, it feels just like 06. It feels it feels very, very similar. Prices are super, super high. And yet that that is true. Um, and mortgages aren't quite as predatory as they they have been. But hey, the interest rates are gone have gone up. They're almost at six percent right now, which yeah, that makes it harder for all of our numbers to work. Of course it does. When you're adding back in your debt service, now instead of adding in, you know, seven hundred dollars a month for your mortgage, you have to add in nine hundred dollars a month for your mortgage or or whatever the case may be on some of these, you know, properties you're trying to make work for your cash flow strategy or your birth strategy or what have you. At refinancing is, you know, not the best option at this point because rates are now higher than whatever you're paying or what you were paying a year, year and a half ago. But <clears throat> To specifically um, assuage the, uh, the the nerves for the investors thinking this market's going to crash, this market's going to flame out and explode, and anybody buying real estate is going to be left holding the bag, and you're you're going to sink. I want to talk about current supply issues. So I did some research on the previous four years of the Atlanta metro market. And and I didn't do the entire state of Georgia. Um, I just dove into the metro area for Atlanta. Um, Originally, I just tried to do inside the beltway. Um, 
and I got got a lot of really interesting numbers. So I just wanted to see what the numbers would be to just plug into the MLS, just the whole thing. I didn't want to put any borders on it. Just wanted to see the entire Atlanta market. Um, and since 2018, it's not just a 2020, it's not just a pandemic issue. Since 2018, we have had less than a two-month supply of real estate inventory at any given time in the Atlanta market. That's startling. Uh, that that's That is a seller's market. Right now, it's a 1.68 month supply. And Atlanta is a really good depiction of the real estate investment market of the country. Are there other markets that have slightly de- you know better margins? Yeah, of course. Um, they have less demand though too. Are there some that have more demand than Atlanta? Yeah, of course, but they have uh, less benefits, tax incentives. Um, you have uh, less purchasing power in some of these markets. So when we're just talking about a real estate investment market, what it what it looks like, how much money can be made, Atlanta is a really, really perfect market to kind of dissect to uh, get a good picture of what's going on in the country right now. Um, Atlanta right, right now has something like 13,000 listings, which sounds like a whole lot. It is, it is, it is a ton of optional listings and they range anywhere from, you know, $17,000 up to, you know, $11 million. There, there's, and there's anything in between there and, you know, all kind of numbers here, but we're still talking about a median days on market time frame of 24 days. Are there properties that sit on the market way longer than that? Yeah, of course. When we talk about individual properties, what makes something sit on the market for a long time or what makes something you know sell really quickly? Individual properties have different reasons why something sits on the market longer or shorter versus a market, which is why I like to use medians. I think medians are much more accurate um, analysis tools than averages are. So when I look at the average, I mean, the average days on market is over 40. Um, that is really hindered by the handful of properties that have been on the market for well over a year. Some of them, I mean, you know, pushing 500 days. But, you know, when you have a listing at $11 million, that's really, really nice. You know, sometimes it's okay to wait over a year to sell that property because it's going to make the money back and it's, it's perfectly fine. But we don't we don't see those crazy median numbers of two months, three months. We're seeing still seeing an under one month days on market time frame for retail sales in the Atlanta market. I know for the last couple of months, um, investors that were doing flips really were excited for the fact that they could put their property on the market in you know on a Friday and have 25 offers by Sunday, and they could pick the best one that was the highest over market value that they could choose. They, they could take that and run with it and, and be fine. And today it doesn't feel the same because, oh, I only got you know three offers this weekend, and, and one of them was below asking price. That's, that's less fun, but that's how real estate works. That's a normal real estate market. We've gotten spoiled as sellers uh, over the past few years. And again, it's an inventory supply issue. There are not as many homes being built in this country as there needs to be. We have a massive 
shortage in the, a supply of livable homes in America right now. And, you know, on another episode, I might, I might dive a little bit further into the, the ethics of profiting off of housing, because that's, that's another thing that I've been seeing, uh, you know, climb up some of these news trackers. Um, but, but today I just want to talk about specifically why today is massively different than it was during the previous housing crash. Now, am I saying that this bubble isn't going to pop? Is even what we're in right now a bubble? I, I don't think that it is. Um, is it going to crash? I don't think that it is. Um, and, and I don't have a crystal ball, certainly. But in terms of what I'm seeing here, there's a big player um, in today's market that that operates on buying properties just across the board. If it fits the uh, predetermined checklist items, they can just buy it. We're talking about hedge funds. We're talking about REIT. We're talking about Wall Street. Uh, they have more money, you know, as a collective than most of us will ever see, and that's okay. Um, but they are competing. In January of 2022, one in seven homes were sold to Wall Street. That's that's a lot larger of a number than we've ever seen. We are seeing historical rises in Wall Street firms buying single-family real estate inventory, taking it off the market and paying well over what we can pay for, well over what I can pay for it, well over what you can pay for it, because they're not banking on today's numbers or tomorrow's numbers or next year's numbers. They understand the value of owning the real estate. The more of it you own, the more eventually you can set that price to whatever you want for rent. Um, and, and that's how we can compete in the new market of real estate investing. Uh, you have to start looking in tertiary markets. You have to start looking in secondary markets. You're having to go out and buy homes that are distressed. We have to put in the work, add our own inventory back into the market. Um, and, and that is what is going to let us continue to invest and continue to build equity and grow our wealth. In today's real estate market, it's a relatively safe bet to purchase distressed properties and force equity into them. You're not paying well over market value for them. You're not paying, you're not competing against Wall Street that's that's okay if they they're upside down in cash flow for a couple of months or maybe even years. We don't have to worry about that if we go and build our own inventory back into the market. And and that is, you know, a good way to start a conversation about build to rent. It's a good way to start a conversation about buying distressed homes. Um, and, and you know what? I, I think that is the, the kind of mentality that we're going to have to um, begin to focus on to continue to, to be small mom and pop real estate investors. And most of us are going to fall into that category unless I have some hedge fund listeners, which um, I doubt at the moment. But for the rest of us, um, we've got to start to change our tactics a little bit. And, you know, over the next 
a couple of months, I'm going to talk about what we can do to kind of fight the good fight. Um, some of the things that we can do to continue to be relevant players in our markets. Um, and, and I want to uh, talk about the benefits that we individually uh, can take bets on that that Wall Street probably isn't going to. But, um, you know, I, I, I hope today let you understand a little bit about why things are different right now than they were back then, make you a little bit more at ease on pulling the trigger to buy that investment property that, that, you know, maybe the numbers aren't absolutely perfect on, but you sit there and you, you know, you've got to build equity. You know, you've got to start growing your wealth and real estate is the best hedge against inflation. So I, I hope this episode has made you realize, all right, you're, you're not going to be buying something and immediately lose, you know, half of its equity, you know, right on day one, we're, we're dealing with a different situation. And, uh, you know, I, I hope today's episode has really, you know, calmed your nerves, made you ready to get back out there and really start fighting to buy the properties that are going to make you money. But thank you everyone for watching today. Please make sure to like and subscribe, hit the notification bell if you're on the YouTube channel. But uh, thank you everyone. And we will talk with you in a few weeks.